All right, so here's my question. What are some things you're really good at? Any, anybody wanna volunteer something that they're good at? Yeah, James, what are you good at? Failure, so good. Anyone good at anything positive? <laughs> Christian is good at volleyball and being the tallest guy here. Are you taller than Scotty now? Dude, way to go. Okay, well, there's some things that we're good at, and it makes you go, I've got the power, I can do this. You look in the mirror. Have you seen that video of that little girl who's like, it's going to be a good day. I'm amazing. Has anyone seen that? It's so cute. She's like psyching herself up. Sometimes we're really good at things, and we psych ourselves up, and we think I'm the greatest. Um, it, there's things that maybe for some of you guys, maybe it's sports. It's not like you're lacking in that area. You're never like, um, I need more sports ability. You're just like, no, what I have is more than enough. I'm the quarterback. I'm the cheerleader who can do like 12 flips. Um, I know one girl in this youth group who can like do like a flip and then like another, like three flips in a row. And I'm like, the only other person I've ever seen do that is Batman. So <laughs> that's amazing. Um, so there's things where we have more than enough ability, um, but then there's other things where we're lacking and what we have is not enough. Uh, for me, it's definitely sports. Um, growing up, like just no sports ability. Uh, I've told you guys before, but they practically named the bench after me. Uh, I got my own little plaque. I was always just on the bench, and the one time they send me out, they're like, Aaron, go stand at the top of the key. This is eighth grade basketball. You know, I've got my dorky blue cavalry shorts on and my plain gray t-shirt and I'm standing up there and they send Russell Frazier. The guy was like six feet in eighth grade. Who do you think is going to get the rebound? Me? I'm like, no, I'm not going to get the rebound. So Russell always got it. Um, a lot of times my abilities in things like sports or dealing with the ladies um, were always lacking. Um, I really, really stunk at having any sort of attempt at a relationship with a girl. A lot of times uh, it was basically just, I mean, this really did happen. I asked a girl out to a dance. She laughed at me and ran away. Like she could not get away fast enough. And I couldn't blame her because I was a weirdo. Um, my abilities were definitely not enough. Well, today we're going to learn where our strength and ability comes from when we're lacking, when we don't have enough. So John chapter 6, um, today our background for the study is this is a story about Jesus and his disciples. Um, this series is called Follow. It's a series about Jesus and his disciples. And when I say his disciples, I don't just mean uh, the disciples, the 12 disciples back in the day. I don't just mean, you know, the people who follow Jesus immediately after Jesus' death and resurrection. When I say disciple, I'm talking about you and me. Um, we are the next generation of disciples. We're the followers of Jesus. So this is a story just as much about us as it is about them. So um, the background is we're close to Passover, okay, in the setting, and it's six months to a year after chapter five. Last time we were here, it was a while ago, um, we had that student panel up here, and we talked about when Jesus healed the lame man at the pool of Bethsaida. This is like six months later. A lot of time has gone by. Um, 
what has happened in this time period is Jesus has gone on a teaching and healing tour. He is just going around healing as much as he can, teaching in the synagogues, telling people about the kingdom of God. Um, the gospel of Mark tells us Jesus was so busy, he didn't even have time to eat. Here's a couple of things that just happened too. Um, Jesus's cousin, John the Baptist, has just been executed. His head has been chopped off. It's a terrible story with a lot of nasty, weird details that you can read all about in your Bible because the Bible has some crazy stories in it. Um, and uh, the disciples had just returned from their missions trip. Jesus has sent the 12 disciples out two by two into different towns and cities for the very first missions trip, and they had returned. Um, and they were excited to share with Jesus the things that had happened. What they needed was alone time with Jesus. So we pick up the story. The disciples have returned. Jesus is bummed out because his cousin has been executed, and Jesus and his disciples are trying to to get away from the crowd. You know, like when we go up to camp, we're kind of retreating. That's why it's called a retreat. That's what Jesus and his disciples are trying to do. They're trying to retreat and get away. So look at verse one. After this, this is all those details we just talked about. I wanted to explain. So when I said after this, you weren't like, after what? Now you know. After all those crazy things that happened, verse one, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. Boat trip. Verse 2. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went. Stinking crowds. Jesus cannot get a break. Because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. It's the Jesus fan club. Imagine it. Jesus is in this boat. He's trying to get away. He's floating all over the place. And there's just this huge crowd of people who are just like running alongside the boat. We love you, Jesus. Like they're, they love him. They're trying to get his attention. They want healings. They want miracles. They're really following Jesus for the wrong reason. Jesus came to proclaim the kingdom and tell people, this is the new way to live. I'm the king. This is what life looks underneath my kingdom rule. Uh, everyone else is just like, hey, that's the guy who makes sweet sandwiches. So they are following him because they want want food. They want miracles. They want all of the outside stuff. They're not really interested in what Jesus really has to offer. Verse 3, then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He turns to Philip, one of the disciples, and says, Philip, where are we going to get food? I would not want to be Philip in that situation. Um, I love Jesus, though, because we see some interesting things about his heart. One, Jesus cares more about others than himself. Think about it. He's tired. He's worn out. Imagine your cousin has just been murdered. His head has literally been chopped off. I don't know about you, but I don't want to hang out with anybody during that time period. Jesus is trying to get away, but he sees the crowds. He sees that they're tired. He sees that they're hungry. He sees that they need a savior. And so he gives up his own time to spend time with them. Jesus sees the needs of others. Think about that. Jesus is there. He sees the crowd. He senses something. What does he sense? Does he sense that they need a Bible study in Leviticus for five hours? No. He senses that they're hungry. 
um, it's interesting to see that Jesus cares not just about spiritual things, but physical things. Jesus cares that they're hungry. So we've got the Jesus fan club, and they're all kind of stupid for not bringing food. Um, they're out in the desert. I mean, pack a sandwich. Come on. It just They're out there, and they're just expecting Jesus to provide. And it's such a tough place to be in. Look at verse 5. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. And then turning to Philip, he says, hey, Philip, where can we, 12 dudes, get food enough for this giant crowd? What do you think about that, Philip? Like, what, what do you think? You're, you're, you're the expert, Philip. You tell us. What a bummer of a place. I, I love Jesus because he's, he's testing Philip. And it's kind of like a fireman asking a toddler, how should we put out this fire? What, what do you think? Like, what, what strategy should we use? Jesus is the master, and he's asking poor Philip. Let's look at Philip's classic response, verse 7. This is what Philip comes up with. This is the best Philip can do. Uh, Philip replies, you know, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. I mean, that's his plan. Let's go work for months and then get money and then come back and we can maybe afford to feed some of them. They'd be dead by then. Like, if, if, if they're just out in the desert with no food. Good job, Philip. Genius work. So, uh, Philip is seeing with the eyes of man. He's just trying to think through the problem through the eyes of man, practically. And a lot of times, when we face our problems and they don't really have easy solutions, we try to think of the answer and it's like, well, there really isn't a good one. Um, then we get Andrew who is classic, um, he uh, says in verse 8, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and he says, hey, there's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. He like, he's getting like a glimmer of an idea. He's like looking around, he's like, food, 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 where's food? And then he sees five loaves and two fish. But then reality hits him, and he realizes he's being stupid because he says, oh, but what good is that with a huge crowd? And it's like, did that even need to be said? Like, was that necessary to even bring that up? Like, I'm sure that everybody else in the 12 disciples were like, you're, you're a moron. Like, we thought Philip was stupid, but you're, why are you pointing out this kid's Lunchables when we've got this huge crowd? It makes no sense. However, Jesus has a plan, and... Andrew doesn't know it, but he's actually on to something. Verse 10, Jesus takes charge of the situation. He says, tell everyone to sit down. So Jesus said, sit down, and they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. I've never been in a crowd of 5,000 people. If, if I showed up to teach today, and you guys all said with like one resounding voice, we're hungry, and I'm like, but, but Michaela made some cookies, and you guys are like, that's not enough, we need pizza, and I'd be like, oh, I'd be stressing out, I'd be like, how am I going to afford this, I got to talk to my boss, like, I don't have money to buy everybody pizzas, like, I, I'd be stressing out. You guys are like, not even 100 people, this is a crowd of 5,000 men alone. It, it says, the men alone numbered 5,000. Uh, if you add women and children, we're looking at possibly 10 to 15,000 people. So this is crazy. Um, this is, I, I just want you to feel the tension in the air with this situation. Like this is a struggle. The struggle is very real for these disciples. They've got a crowd that they want to hear Jesus, but everyone is hungry. And I don't know about you, but I'm not very good at listening to people talk for a time when I'm hungry. Maybe some of you guys are like, yeah, I know you should have fed me. I don't want to listen to you. I'm leaving. Fine. Go. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I love you. Stay. Um, verse 11. 
says, Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterwards, he did the same with the fish. People were probably a little confused. Uh, you know, there's this crowd of 5,000, and they're like, how are we going to get food? We totally forgot to bring some. What do we do? Jesus says, ah, let's pray. Let's bless the meal. Everyone's like, what? He grabs the little kids' five loaves and fishes, and he says, Lord, Father, Yahweh, God, we love you. Thank you for this bountiful feast you've put before us. Thank you for this amazing food. This is going to be so great, Lord. You're so amazing. Everyone in the crowd is like, ah, I think Jesus is crazy. Like, he's got five loaves and two fish. This isn't going to do much. So, verse 11. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. And afterwards, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. Okay. What? Um, that, that verse just, it goes by so fast. Um, like, it doesn't say, like, a lightning bolt came down from heaven. There was a giant firebolt. Like, the, the clouds parted, and the voice of God came out and said, everyone shall eat. Like, that... It just really quickly says Jesus prayed and blessed the meal and he passed it out and everyone ate as much as he wanted. That's incredible. Like, I hope you haven't heard this story so much that you miss the crazy wonder of it. Like, I'm, I've been reading it this week and I'm just blown away. It wasn't like Jesus took the five loaves and two fish and got tweezers out and like broke off a little piece for everybody and like passed it out. He's like, okay, we need 5,000 pieces of this fish, so I'm going to dissect it. No, it said everyone ate it as much as they wanted. And I don't know about you, but I don't want a little tweezer bit of a fish. I want a whole fish. I want, a, I want two loaves of bread so I can make a fish sandwich. It said everyone ate as much as they wanted. Not even like you know, like when you go, um, I was at a wedding last night, and, you know, it's like, uh, there's all this great pizza, but it's like, everyone's only allowed to have one slice. And I asked for two, and they're like, all right, fine. And they gave me two. <laughs> but I want a whole pizza. Like, that's me. Um, this wasn't like Jesus is like, all right, everybody, here's the rules, okay? Uh, everyone gets one little, like, corner crust of bread, one little, like, little, like, fin of a fish. <laughs> like, no, everyone ate as much as they wanted. It, it's amazing. It says, verse 12, everyone... It says in verse 12, after everyone was filled, like they're eating so much that their stomachs are full. This is the most impressive thing Jesus has done at this point. This blows healing sick people. This blows turning uh, blood into water. No, that was Moses. Um, This blows turning water into wine out of the water. This is incredible. Then, verse uh, 12, Jesus tells his disciples, now gather all the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. There is leftovers here. (laughs) It's just all kinds of crazy, and it gets crazier. Verse 13, so they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. There's 12 baskets of leftovers here. This is insane. (laughs) Okay, so some people out there... Like I said, they, they say, this is not a miracle. Jesus obviously distributed the bread and the fish into tiny fragments. No, this is absolutely a miracle. That's stupid. If you believe that, that's dumb, okay? Jesus has done something miraculous. Verse 14, when the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he's the prophet we've been waiting for. A lot of people's belief in Jesus um, in this time period centers around his ability to feed them. They come hungry, and then they get fed, and they're like, oh, he's the guy that we've been looking for. This is amazing. 
Here's the application, okay? We've got just three things to look at today, really simply. One, you're gonna, I don't know if you're gonna like this picture I picked. It's not, it's, it's kinda junior high. It's not super high school serious, but I just think it's kinda, kinda cute. Look at that guy. He tried so hard to lift those little Lego weights. <laughs> he dropped them. It's so sad. Um, I don't know about you, but a lot of times I feel like that guy. You know, I'm trying so hard. In fact, there's this one time when I lived in England uh, for Bible college. Um, I remember I went to the market, and we didn't have cars, so we had to walk to the market. And the really good market was called Morrison's. Me and Brooklyn used to like go on little unofficial date walks over there. Um, yeah, you know, uh, we're no, we're not together. We just like to go grocery shopping together. Um, <laughs> it's like a marriage thing. Um, we were married before we were. Anyway, we, I would go to the market, and I, one day I got so many groceries, and I wasn't thinking. I was like, I didn't think that I didn't have a car, and I had, this, I had like five bags and like this giant sack of potatoes. And I'm just like walking home, and like this little old lady saw me. She's like, hello, sir, do you need help? And I'm like, no, no, I'm good. And I'm just walking with my grocery bags. The bag burst open and the potatoes fell on the ground. And I literally looked at them and I was like, I guess I'm not eating potatoes. And I just left the potatoes on the ground and walked away. So I don't know about you, but a lot of times in life, I feel like there's so much stress, there's so much things going on, and I just drop the ball. I drop the potato sack. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, I've got responsibilities, but I have to drop them and leave them on the side of the road because life is so stressful. You guys are students. I know you're feeling me. I know you know what I'm talking about. Life can be difficult and stressful. Most of the time, we kind of see our struggles from the crowd's perspective um, and from the disciples' perspective. From the crowd's perspective, like, we're looking at our, our troubles and we're like, God, I need you to do something. Like, I don't know what's going on. And then if we're looking at it from the disciples' perspective, it's like God has given us a responsibility. It's like God looking at you, and you've got your huge problem you're dealing with. Think of right now. I think every single one of you probably have some problem you're dealing with. Think of it. And imagine God looks at you like he looked at Philip, and God says, so what do you think we should do about this? And you're like, I don't know. That's why you're God. Why are you asking me? Like this responsibility to be a follower of Jesus and to be a disciple and to walk with him with all these struggles is so hard. Sometimes Sometimes, honestly, we're, we're weak. Maybe you're dealing with problems with your friends. Just there's division with your friends or maybe family. Maybe you're looking at a problem in your family, maybe something with mom and dad or aunts or uncles or moms or sisters, and you're like, this problem's never going to go away. Like, I can't fix this. I want this to be fixed so bad, but I just, I don't know. Maybe for you, it's your grades. You want to keep your grades up, and you're working so hard to try to keep your grades up, but it just won't work. Or maybe you're trying to obey God in something. Maybe there's a sin you're trying to quit, something you're trying to drop, something that you know is wrong, and you need God's help for it, and you're trying so hard to quit, but it's like no matter what you do, you always get sucked back in. Sometimes our resources are small. You know what I mean? It's like we feel like okay, I'm trying to walk with Jesus. I'm trying to do the right thing. And you look over at, you know, the girl uh, who everyone just thinks is so spiritual, and you're like, ah, oh, like it's probably so easy for her. She probably gets up at four in the morning and prays for two hours, and, you know, God gives her, like, super speed ability to do her hair perfectly in, like, two seconds because she, like, honored God with those two hours of prayer, and God's like, oh, perfect hair. And it's just, it's amazing, but I have to get up and do my hair, and I don't have time to read my Bible, and then I go through the day, and I sin, and I mess up. Maybe you feel like your resources are small. You're like, I'm not enough. I can't 
can't do it. Maybe you're the guy who's just, you're trying so hard to follow the Lord. You're trying so hard to be obedient, but you're like, I just don't have self-control. I just don't have the ability to do what I'm called to do. And you say, maybe like the Apostle Paul, I always do what I don't want to do, and I never do what I know is right. Sometimes our abilities are lacking. But this, I'm going to share with you guys just something really simple that encourages me. It's not about our responsibility. It's about our response to his ability. Did you get that? Are you with me? It's not about our responsibility. If you feel like to walk with God is your responsibility, and you feel like God's looking at you and he's like, listen, you have to be perfect. You have to do everything right, or else you can't be a Christian. You can't be a follower of God. You can't do it. And it's this responsibility. It's this heavy weight. It's like this boulder that's been placed upon you, and you know that you can't lift a boulder. You don't have super strength, so you're going to be crushed. A lot of Christians feel crushed by the weight of responsibility to walk with God. But it's not about my responsibility. It's about my response to his ability Jesus was the only person with the ability to live a perfect life. He was the only one who could do it. And he did it, and he did it so well. He had the ability to be perfect, to never sin, to honor God. And so think of it. It's not like God places this boulder on you and says, this is your responsibility. Jesus has the super strength. He's lifting up the boulder, and he says, hey, respond to my ability to do this. Go ahead. Stand with me. Place your hand on the boulder. It's not you lifting the boulder, it's him. But you're just responding to his ability, and then you're able to enjoy the benefits of a lifted boulder, which I don't know what that would be. Um, I don't know what the benefit of holding a boulder is, but you get the point. It's your response to God's ability. Here's the second thing we're looking at. Nothing is impossible for God. Now, we've heard that before, you know, when you guys are going through hard things, you know, people say, oh, just trust the Lord. You know, nothing is impossible for the Lord. And it sounds so, you know, just trite and repetitive because we hear it so much in the church. But... It's true. It really is true. Nothing is impossible for God. I just, I want to encourage you, when you're going through a hard thing, remember who you're dealing with. You're you're dealing with the God who parted the Red Sea, the God who created the universe, the God who died on a tree for you. It was a test that he had for Philip. He's got this test, you know, he says to Philip, oh, oh no. All right, let's, let's just see what happens when I, oh, that was insane. (laughs) demons. <laughs> okay. Reclaim train of thought. He has this test for Philip, and he says, Philip, what do you think we should do? And he's, he's thinking. He's asking Philip, and he's thinking, is Philip going to try to figure this out on his own? Is he going to think, I'm giving him the responsibility? Or is Philip going to rely on my ability? Is Philip going to go, you know what, Jesus? We've only got five loaves and two fishes, but that's enough because you're Jesus. Let's give it to you and let's see what you do. That's the kind of attitude. When you have a problem, don't look at it and go, you know what, God? I don't know what we're going to do with this. Go, you know what, God? Here's my problem. I know you're the one who can take it and do something amazing with it. Guys, when God is going to do something wonderful, he begins with a difficulty, but when he's going to do something really wonderful, he begins with an impossibility. Seriously. Like, think about it. Think about in your life, what do you feel like is impossible? Oh, me getting married one day? Impossible. Oh, me succeeding academically? Oh, I'm such a failure. Impossible. Like our good friend James said, what am I good at? Failing. Maybe you feel like that too. Maybe you would agree with James. I'm so good at messing up. God would say to you, 
If it looks impossible, that's the perfect place for me to step in and do something great. There's a great story um, that I remember hearing growing up, and it's an awesome true story. There's this guy named George Mueller back in, I think, the 1800s or early 1900s, I'm not sure. But George Mueller was a guy who ran an orphanage. Christian guy, loves the Lord. Well, one day, he was going through a season where his orphanage was running out of money. They didn't have very much money. And so one day, he gets up. The children, about 300 children in the orphanage, they're all getting ready for the day. And the maid comes in, um, his second in command, this uh, headmaster lady, and she says, Mr. Mueller, the children are all dressed, they're all ready, but there's no food and nothing to drink. We're all out. So George asks her to take the 300 children into the dining room and have a seat. And she goes, okay. So the children all sit down. George comes in and he says, the Lord's going to provide. And everyone's looking at him and they're like, George, what are you talking about? We don't have any food. Like, we need to go out and buy some and there's no money. What are we going to do? And George actually prays and he says, Lord, we know you'll provide. Please bless the food that we know you'll provide. All of a sudden, a few minutes later, he hears a knock on the door. And uh, the baker, the town baker is at the door and he says, Mr. Mueller, last night I couldn't sleep. Somehow I knew you'd need bread, so I got up and baked three batches for you. It's just like the Lord had already prepared. It's so amazing. So now they've got bread for everybody. And then they're sitting down to eat, and that would have been enough. But then another knock at the door happens, and it's the milkman, the guy in the town who drives the milk truck. And he comes and he says, hey, my truck just broke down in front of your door. And uh, by the time I'm done fixing my truck, all the milk's going to be bad. So do you want it? Just amazing. God provides. And he is absolutely the God who does that. Guys, when you're facing something that you feel like is impossible, are you looking at it from the perspective of God's power? Are you looking at it from the impossibility? Seriously, I know you guys probably think certain things are impossible. God knows that they're possible. And I'm not saying this like in a super like Disney, like, yeah, just go follow your dreams, like everything you want to do. Like if you want to jump off a building, you know, and like land, like if you want to do Mary Poppins and like have an umbrella, like jump off a building and like float down gracefully and not die. Oh, nothing is impossible with God, dude. Like, no, that's, I mean, you'll probably die and you'll see Jesus, but don't do that, please. And please don't tell people, that it was me that told you to do that. Well, you'd be dead, so you wouldn't be able to, unless you left a note like, Aaron told me I could jump off this building and I'd survive. I'm not, I'm not saying that, okay? Like, there's, we need to have wisdom with certain things. But, but, just an example from my life, just really briefly, seriously, I mean, most of you guys have heard this. You've grown up with me. But, I mean, just to say it again in the briefest way possible, I literally thought the idea of me getting married or finding somebody who would love me was literally impossible. I mean, when you go from second grade to senior year and all you've ever faced is rejection, um, seeing the girls that you had crushes on and you hoped, you know, maybe they'll be the one, just go after other guys, show no interest in you whatsoever. I mean, after years of that, it starts to hurt and it creates, it created in me this idea that I wasn't good enough, that I was worthless, that nobody would 
ever want to have anything to do with me. Um, socially, I became introverted. I hid from people. Um, I got really involved in some film projects, and I just, every day after school, I couldn't wait to get home and lock myself in my room and work on these film projects, because that's where I felt like I got my fulfillment, because I could post them on the internet, on YouTube, and people would comment on it. I'm like, oh, somebody likes me. Like, somebody thinks I'm important. Like, somebody saw my video. And like, I got, that's how I felt, because I was like, at school, I wasn't really feeling like anybody cared about me. You know? And I just thought the idea of me being a socially functionable human being <laughs> was impossible. I thought me having genuine friendships was impossible. And I felt like me ever having a beautiful bride was impossible. And I stand before you today to say that God has done a miracle in my life. And you might be like, oh, whatever, you know, you met somebody, it's not that much of a miracle. For me, it was. Um, the way God brought Brooklyn into my life was just so him. Like, it had nothing to do with me. Um, I finally listened to my youth pastor in junior high who told me when uh, God made Eve for Adam, Adam wasn't out looking for a wife. Um, God actually had him rest and go to sleep. Uh, and I spent my entire junior high and high school just looking, like, maybe she's the one. Maybe she's the one. Hey, do you love me? Do you like me? Oh, you don't. Oh, heartbreak, heartbreak, heartbreak over and over again. And, and finally, finally, I listened to what my pastor told me, which is just rest in the Lord. And I said, God, I'm going to fall more in love with you than I ever have. I'm going to fall in love with you before I fall in love with anyone else. Um, even if I never get married, like, that's okay. That's tough. That's hard. I'll live in a cave like a hermit. Um, but, but I want to put you first in my life. And I started seeking after God harder than I ever had. And I thought, you know, maybe if I do this, you know, if, if I give God my all, if I give God everything, maybe in 20 years, he'll bring me a wife. It was like, like four months after I started doing that, that God brought Brooklyn into my life. It was just amazing. And there's more to that story, but I just want to tell you, whatever you're facing, whatever insecurity you have, whatever is deep down inside and you don't reveal it and you try to stay confident on the outside because you don't want your friends to know, really the heartbreak and the struggle and the insecurity and the doubt on the inside, God looks at whatever you say is impossible and he says, give me a chance to do what I do best. Third thing. What you have is more than enough for him. And I picked this picture because, you know, it just reminds me of what that little boy might have looked like. This is just a sweet little Jewish guy, modern century Jewish guy. But just imagine that face in first century Israel looking up and he's like, hey, I've got, I've got five loaves and two fish. I mean, you guys think you could work with that? Just the faith of a child. And imagine Jesus comes and he tries to receive the lunch, that kid could have been like, no, mine, and like run away. You know? He's like, forget you. This is my lunch. And he takes off. No, he, he's willing to give up. He's willing to sacrifice. And he gives what little bit he has. And it's a little bit, but it ends up being way more than enough for Jesus to work with. That's really the third thing. What you have is more than enough. For me, like I said just a second ago, growing up, it was a lot of feeling like I wasn't enough. Uh, my dad was an awesome dad. Um, he, he was so loving, so caring, so supportive, but I had a big insecurity with my dad because he was an athlete. Before he became a pastor, he wanted to be a pro baseball player, and it was only because of the Lord 
that he didn't pursue that path. God told him to become a pastor, and he gave up baseball. So growing up, you know, starting out, my dad, like, really tried to get me into sports, and uh, I just was terrible. Like, I've heard from relatives that I had a good pitching arm when I was, like, in kindergarten or something. I don't know how good you can really be in kindergarten, um, but uh, here was really the problem with me in sports. I couldn't handle the pressure. Like, you know the pressure where everyone on a team is counting on you? That is so hard. Like, seriously? So I became the guy that the sports guys hated because in school, I just didn't care. Like, that was my way of, like, because I knew if I tried, if I, if I put myself in the kickball game, if I put myself in the dodgeball game, and I actually tried, and then I fell on my face, and I failed, and we lost the game because of me, or we, the team got the ball because of me, or I messed up the play. I just had this crippling fear that the other people on the team would hate me. So the way I compensated for that was I just was like, oh, I don't care, you know, I mean, it's just a game, you know, I mean, whoever wins, wins, you know, and I became that guy. Does anyone know that guy? The guy was just like, whatever, it doesn't matter. That's who I became, and, um, you know, it's because I was insecure. Like, I, I, I just, I, I felt like, you know, I had these two sisters who were really athletic. They played volleyball, basketball, all these sports. And I just was like, man, does, I, uh, does my dad not love me as much as them? Because, you know, they're so good at sports and I'm not. I'm just the weird guy who likes to dress up and do musical theater and just, you know, weird stuff like that. You know, I painted myself blue in the fourth grade and ran around like the genie and just, you know, stuff like that. And, and my dad was so supportive, but I just had this fear that maybe he, like, doesn't really like me because I'm not good at sports. And I, that wasn't true, but that's what I felt. I felt like I'm not enough. I'm not a good enough son. With girls, definitely felt that way. One time I remember I like finally worked up the courage to tell this girl, this is like fifth, sixth grade, school play, it's over. We did a great job. Children of Bethlehem, we like had these little like Israel skirts on and you know little halos and wings. And the girl I liked, she's got the white robe and the little angel halo and the wings. She looks so stinking cute. And I was like, I'm gonna tell her. I'm gonna tell her tonight that I love her. And we're gonna get married and all my dreams are gonna come true. And I like leaned forward to tell her, and this jerk punk surfer dude named Court. I love you, Court, if you're out there. But uh, back then, you know, he's just this, this punk <laughs> to me. He literally turns to her as I'm leaning forward and says, hey, you want a date? And I'm just like, oh, dreams dashed. And it's like, man, I'm, I'm not enough. I mean, for you, fill in the blank. Like, what is it that you say, you know? Oh, I'm not enough. You know, I'm not, I'm not sociable enough. I'm not popular enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not handsome enough. I'm not good enough. I can't do it, no matter how hard I try. I want to first of all just let you know, in God's eyes, you're more than enough. In fact, you're enough that if you were the only person on the planet, he would have died for you. Really. Like, he would have gone through all that pain, all that suffering. It wasn't about the quantity of people. It was about the quality of people. And in God's eyes, you're an A+, plus, no matter what your math test grade was. God looks at you, and you're so valuable and special and wonderful to him. And he, he looks at you, and all those insecurities, all those things that you feel like in your heart are not good enough, God looks at them, and he sees potential. In fact, the things that we see as trash, 
in our own life, God looks and he sees potential. I want to show you something cool. Okay, check this out. So there's these uh, kind of hipster, weird artists, and they like to work with trash. In fact, this is one of their pieces of art. What do you guys think? Impressive? Artistic? No, it's, it's garbage, right? You look at it, you're like, this is, it's garbage. Like, there's nothing good about that. There's nothing redeemable about that. It's just trash. Until you turn on the lights. Like, these guys are so good that they arrange this trash in a way that when the light shines through it, you see something beautiful. And just, it takes so much time and effort to work with that, but it just creates good things. Here's another one. Okay, what, what might this be? You know, it's just a pile of wood, kind of arranged, weirdly. But when you turn on the lights, it's a fully functional man. So rad. What about this one? Another pile of trash, right? Lots of junk. But then we turn on the lights, and it's a guy and a girl looking at the stars. And then it's another one. Wood, people sitting in chairs. And finally, got a pile of cans. Anyone have an idea what this might be? Right, it's a city. Here's what I want, here's what I want you to notice. Check this out, this is actually really cool. We just did brain rewiring right now. We, we rewired our brains. Because what happened when we first looked at the trash? What did we see? Garbage. We saw garbage. It was just like, it's garbage. But then, after we saw the potential of what the garbage could be, it kind of became like a game. Like, each time we saw another pile of garbage, did you see garbage or did you anticipate that you were going to see something beautiful? Right, the second one. You were waiting to see what it would be. In the same way, God wants to rewire your heart. When you look at things in your life that seem like garbage, God wants you to see the potential of what he can do with the little bit that you have, just a tiny, tiny bit. Like, you guys have so many talents and abilities and personality traits that are beautiful and wonderful. And in the hands of God, he can turn them into amazing things. I want to challenge you. Take what you think is trash in your life, give it to God, and watch it become treasure. Seriously. Like, don't be afraid. If you have any inkling of kindness, give it to the Lord and say, God, like, I, I want to love people. I want to serve people. Watch what he does with it. Watch how he plugs you in and you start loving on some little elementary school students here at the church and serving them like some of you guys do. And you might think, That's, that doesn't really mean anything. That's not big ministry stuff. That is huge ministry. Working out with, or not working out, <laughs> working out with the babies in the nursery, just pumping iron. No, but loving on those kids in the nursery, I've, I've watched some of you guys do that for years. That is beautiful. Like, God is so blessed by that. He's so proud of you. Helping out with your brothers and sisters loving on them, spending time to show them who Jesus really is, helping out with your family. We need to be able to turn on the lights. How do we do that? We go to God. We go to his word. If, you're look, if your life just looks like a pile of garbage, shine some light on it. Maybe you're looking, life is just garbage for you right now. It's just a big pile of garbage. Go to the Lord. Open his word. If you haven't read the Bible lately, just open it up and watch how the, the light of God's life and his heart just 
changes and transforms your life. Seriously, if you're here today, you're struggling, you're discouraged, you've been having a hard time, go to the light and see what it does. So here's the last thing we're talking about. Get your supply from Jesus. And as we wrap it up, and as we're going to get ready for Katie to sing one more song, the disciples, they should have known. You know, they should have known that Jesus had the power because he's Jesus. They've been with him. They've seen him do these miracles. They've seen him do wonderful things. They should have known. And you know what? We have no excuse to not know this. It's all over the Bible. We see all these stories. Look at Philippians 4.19. It says, My God shall supply Sean Connery. Um, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Like God has so much riches. Now I'm not I'm not preaching prosperity gospel, you know, where it's like, oh man, if you sow a seed, this is what they say. If you sow a seed, if you come up here and and you you know stick some coins in here, I guess, because this is the only place I can think. You know, you come up to the pulpit, you drop your faith seed in. Oh man, give Aaron a thousand dollars, and God's gonna give you ten thousand later on. No, you're you're probably just gonna not have a thousand dollars. If God calls you to give a thousand dollars someplace, give it. One time, God called me to give five hundred dollars. I thought it was the worst idea ever. I ran away from it. I was like. I'm not going to give that money. And I ran away from it, ran away, ran away like Jonah. Finally gave in, regret, like begrudgingly gave God the 500 bucks. I was like your age. I was working as a janitor. I only had $1,000 to my name. Gave half of it to the Lord. Was like really bummed out about it. God ended up using that gift to him to actually create events that led me to go to Bible college where I met my wife. So just that's a whole other story. Um, Anyway, back to that, though. So, so when God tells you to do something, do it. When God tells you to give your time or your money or your energy, as he leads you to do, give it. But this says God supplies all your needs. And so many times I look at this and it's like, God, give me all my wants. Oh, I got a PS3, but I want a PS4. Oh, it's so much better if I have that. Lord, go into the future and give me a PS5. You know, that's, that's how I, I treat it. It's like, I want the best. Um, you know, my iPad's slow, you know, because of the update. And it's like, Lord, you know, this is so hard to work on this slow iPad. If you could just provide for me a new iPad. Some of you guys have heard me complain about my car that I've been driving since I'm 15 that I hate. I want it to die in a flame of fire. Um, I've complained, I pray to the Lord, Lord, give me a new car. And God's like, no, I want to keep you humble in that hideous, like, I'm like, but God, I don't even feel like an adult driving that car. I feel like a little, like, pathetic, like, I don't even feel like a man driving that car. I want a big car that's, like, up off the road where I feel like I'm commanding the highway. Instead, I've got the, my car is so, so low to the ground. Like, it is just, it, it's like a baby car. It's, it's stupid. I hate it. But I'm, I'm being sinful right now. Um, Okay, losing track. God shall supply all your needs. Think back again. Like, what do we need? What's one of our biggest needs? Love, acceptance, food, spiritual fulfillment, purpose. God gives us all these things. Like, he's got a treasure trove. If you're here today in your life, you feel like you don't have what you need. God has what you need. He's like the guy, imagine this billionaire moves into the house next to you, and you're poor, and you're struggling, and you're going to get kicked out of your house, and you have no food, and you have no clothes, and the billionaire says, hey, I've got all this extra money lying around. I don't know what to do with it. So anytime you need money, like just come over, knock on my door, tell me what you need. I'll give it to you. Imagine if we didn't go and ask. 
But God is that guy who has the riches. He's the God who has just riches. And how often do we go to him and actually ask for help? And he's not like, all right, you do something for me, I'll do something for you. Okay? Uh, what do you need? Uh, a date to the dance? That's going to be about 20 chapters of Leviticus. Uh, have that done by Thursday. No! <laughs> like, come to God with what you need, okay? For me, if I were to have gone to God in junior high, in high school, and say, God, I really need a date right now. I need a girlfriend. What God would have said is, no, that's what you want. Let me give you what you need. And then he would have supplied me with what I needed, which was peace patience to wait for him to provide Brooklyn, the most amazingly beautiful, inside-out, wonderful person I've ever met in my life. So glad I never... Like, I look back on all the times I got rejected, I'm so thankful. I'm like, God, you saved me from all these relationships that would have been lame. Like, all the heartbreak of breaking up. I never dated anybody until I met her. I'm proud of that. That's, that's awesome. I love that. Like, if you're here today and you've never had a date, and you're just like, oh, I'm so pathetic. All my friends have had, like, 20 boyfriends. That's lame. It's lame to have gone through 20 boyfriends, like, or, or girlfriends. Like, be patient. Go to God. Tell him what you want. And then he'll give you what you need. If you're struggling, don't ask God, like, God, give me what I want. Say, God, provide for me what I need. And watch as he gives you the patience to wait for his timing. Watch as he gives you the strength to get through what you're going through. Watch as he gives you the spiritual fulfillment that your heart craves. It's awesome. He's got the supply. Do you believe Jesus can help you with your problems? Then ask for help. There's a saying that I love. It goes, just do your best. Pray that it's blessed. Jesus takes care of the rest. It doesn't mean they'll always have success. I remember who was there. I'm trying to think who was in that game. Allison, you were there. Okay, when Allison was in junior high, I got invited by some of the junior high girls to go to their basketball game and support them as uh, their youth pastor. So Calvary Lions, there's the A team and the B team. The A team comes out, you know, junior high, really, really short girls. These girls are short, like really short. They go out, they're playing basketball. The A team wins, huge win, 22 to four, just mops the floor with the other team. Then the B team comes out, and you were, were you on the B team? Yeah? You don't remember? It was such a long time ago. Calvary sports are like super unorganized and weird. Yeah, you know. So, yeah, you were on that team. Leah, Becca, um, they were out there. So they come out, and honestly, you guys are in sixth grade. You're like adorable. Little, just so cute. Um, you guys played your little junior high hearts out. Just tried so hard. I remember watching and just cheering, like, you guys can do it. You couldn't. You tried your best, and you lost really bad. Um, the girls on the other team were super tall. It was just, it was tough. And I remember just looking at their little junior high girl faces, and they're just so sad, so disappointed. I think one of them, like, fell and was, like, crying, and it was just, it was crazy. And I remember thinking, God is so proud of them. They went out, they tried their best. Like, if we live our life thinking that God is just like looking for us to succeed, and when we fall on our face and fail, He's like, oh, I can't believe it. I died on the cross for this. I can't, I just can't believe. Oh. No, God loves you. There's no failure that can separate you, there's, there's no bad grade that can separate you from His will for your life. 
You might think like, oh, but if I get the bad grade, I can't go to the college I was planning on going to, and then everything I plan gets thrown off course, and I can't get the job I wanted. And all this. There is nothing that can separate you from God's will as long as you walk with him. Seriously. Like, that is so freeing. Of course try your best. Of course try your best. Work hard. Steady. But whether you fail because you tried your best and you just couldn't do it, or you fail because of your own sin, nothing can remove you from the plans that God has for you. He is the God of second chances and third chances, the God of eternal hope, the God of just having such a great destiny for all of us. He's got a plan for you. Really, like walk with him in it. And when you mess up, realize he's, he did, it's not like he didn't see it coming. He's not like, oh my gosh, like I had like everything planned out and you failed and I was, I gotta go start over and like replan everything. No, God is like, all right, like let's adjust. Perfect plan. God, I feel perfect plan. I got a perfect plan. Just walk with me. Just love me. Stay close to me. Get your supply from me. Nothing is impossible with God. And if you're here today, Katie, you can come back up. Um, we're gonna close with the song. I want to invite you guys in this moment to recharge. Okay? Katie's gonna finish with a song. If you're here today and you feel powerless, God has the supply that you need. You see this laptop? It's only got one power supply port. It's got all these other holes for earbuds, USB cords, Firewire, Thunderbolt, all that crazy stuff. If I plug things into this, all it does is drain the power. Some of you guys here today, you feel empty, so you've tried to fill your lives with activities, entertainment, friends, relationships, just all this stuff. It doesn't do anything but drain you. That's all it does. It just drains you. But God, you plug in that power supply, and now you have the power to supply all those other things. It's not that all your activities and all the hobbies and all the things you want to do in your life, it's not that they're wrong. They're not wrong. But if that's all that you have plugged in, you're going to be drained. You plug in that power supply, you plug into Jesus, and it's so simple, and he will give you the strength that you need. Remember, he is more than enough. The little bit that you can give him, the little bit of time, the little bit of attention, the little bit of passion, the little bit of love. If you start small, if you feel like, oh, I just have such a hard time having a relationship with God, just start small. Don't give up because you can't be as big as somebody else's walk with the Lord. Start small. Give him what little bit you have, and watch him multiply it. Watch him grow the love that you have. Watch him do that. Let's pray, and we're going to worship. Lord, we love you so much. God, we ask that in this moment, you would fill us with your spirit. We ask, God, that you would be here, because we need you. We need to plug into you. We can't try to do this on our own. We can't try to power our lives on our own. If we do, we're just going to be drained. God, if there's anyone here who feels empty, if there's anyone here who feels like they're not enough, I pray, God, that you'd assure them they are. They're exactly who you made them to be. They're special. They're anointed. They're gifted. I pray, God, that people would leave encouraged today knowing that they can do all things through Christ. Help them to know how special they are to you. And I pray, God, that as they try to live for your kingdom and they try to serve you, they would walk with you, with you as their perfect strength. In your name, amen.